Welcome to the Sports Marketing Huddle, a podcast that looks at all things marketing in the world of sports. I'm your host, Rob Cressy, founder of Bacon Sports. And joining me today is Matt Davis, CEO at Obstacle Racing Media. Matt, super excited to have you on the show. Uh, I am super excited to talk to a guy whose voice is only one slight register higher than Pharrell's. <laughs> nice. I will take it. Do you get that? Do you get that comparison a lot? No, but I get so much voice stuff. It's ridiculous. Because it sounds like you, in fact, did swallow a handful of gravel this morning. That, and that's how I wake up every morning. <laughs> so today's topic, what we're going to talk about is a mixture of content creation and building the world in your image. And we're going to do that through the lens of both what you and I have built Matt, in the unique ways that we've done so, and the things that we have in common. So let's start with your origin story, which started back in 2012 with your Obstacle Racing podcast. How and why did you start that? So it's one of those situations where it honestly just seemed like fun. Uh, I had no idea that I would one day make money from it i had done a couple of these obstacle races and for people that don't know what that is it's tough mutter it's spartan race uh almost everybody who listening has probably at least done uh the warrior dash which is the sort of entry level one you get muddy you have a big turkey leg you put a stupid helmet on it's how all of us got started so i'd done a few of these and was starting to be enjoy being around the people who did them and, you know, the only podcast I listened to and really that I ever knew about back then was This American Life, which was great storytelling, and Mark Marin, which was just talking to people. And I thought, well, I'd like to do something kind of like that. I don't know how exactly it's going to work. Why don't I just start talking to people? And uh, at that time, there was not a lot of, you know, what we now call content in that space. And so writing a few blogs and doing these podcasts I quickly got recognized in, in what was a growing industry. And, you know, the short version is I grew as the sport grew. Uh, and I don't know how much sort of nitty gritty you want to get along the way or how deep in the weeds we want to get on how it kind of happened. Was there a tipping point that took things from, Hey, this is a cool little hobby to Holy smokes. I can do this full time. Yeah. Well, there's a little part of the story that I, I, I guess I honestly gets forgotten about some because it's one of those like it gets lost in the history and that there was someone that wanted to start a magazine, which as bad as an idea of a magazine sounds in 2019, it only sounded slightly worse in 2012. Um, but even then everyone was like, what are you talking about? But this guy wanted to start a magazine and he said, hey, I'll hire you to do it. And I had another company that I was miserable at. I think this is the important part of the story. I had done that entrepreneur thing of I put myself in the corner called a job, right? And if I didn't wake up and go to work every day, I couldn't feed my family, but I fucking hated it. We let a curse. Yeah, go for it. Okay. I hated it like you hate any nine to five, even though I was the CEO and the whatever, like I just, I started a business, but then I created a cage for myself. Am I making sense? Oh, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. Okay. So um, when this guy came along and said, hey, I'll pay you a salary to be on this magazine thing with me, I was like, I couldn't have jumped fast enough, really, because I was kind of excited about the idea of a steady check. Um, 
because I, I knew, basically I knew that it, it might not last forever. I knew that we were what I like to call a daddy Warbucks situation, meaning it was a guy's project. And when daddy Warbucks gets tired of spending, it's going to end, right? Like this thing isn't making money and it's going to be a while before it is. And that runway in my mind, I was like, probably a year was like 90 days, 90 days. He was like, yeah, I'm done. And it was like, well, I've already kind of jumped ship here. So I guess let's just go all in on the website because he didn't, he didn't want to do that, which again is insane to me for whatever reason he wanted really wanted the magazine. And when the magazine was not working, I said, well, come along with me on the, on the online thing. He didn't want to. And that's what made me jump in. And then, and then it was a sink or swim situation. And I did do the Lyft and Uber side hustle for about a year and a half. And it was uh, great. It paid well for not a lot of work back then. Um, and it was a nice little bridge uh, as I made sales, et cetera. And, uh, and then I went full all in on the, uh, on the content game. So I love so many things about your story. One thing that I'm curious about is building a cage for yourself with your own business. So oftentimes in entrepreneurship, it gets very glamorized. And I've actually done podcasts about this before where it's like, oh my God, it's gonna be puppy dogs and rainbows every single day. And there's various stages of entrepreneurship. One, it is you deciding that I'm going to do this. That's the first step. The big major hurdle is I'm leaving a job and I'm now going to do this. Now the hard part actually comes where you say, I've got to turn these thoughts and ideas that I have into a revenue paying business. And like you said, if I don't generate revenue, nothing happens. My family doesn't get fed. I don't get fed. <laughs> Everything ends up going on your shoulders. And the amount of pressure that ends up being put on entrepreneurs, the majority of the time self-inflicted is enormous and way more than the majority of people would feel in a traditional nine to five where there's an element of stability because entrepreneurship almost by definition is all about risk of money and time. So take me into sort of your mindset for how you built the cage for yourself because it's something that very much resonates with me in my own journey. So, you know, it's, I was someone that like, I knew at 18, I was never going to work for the man. Like I just knew it. And it, and I think it's the, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many of your shows like, you know, Gary V gets quoted, but like that, that's just sort of like one one of, are you born it or are you not it? And I'm one of those people that was born it, but didn't have the courage, didn't have the confidence. Thought a guy that was an entrepreneur was the kid at 12 that started the lawn mowing business. And I wasn't that guy. And I envied that guy and didn't have the courage to be that guy. So I just knew I wanted something. So, I mean, if we're going to go into it, we'll go into it. Uh, when I was 24, after, you know, like doing the like in and out of college thing, uh, I started doing stand-up comedy, loved it. It's all I was ever going to be. Didn't care if I starved all day, you know, just loved it, loved it, loved it. Did it for 10 years. And then one of my day jobs was uh, I would, um, you know, what's called experiential marketing. So, so, you know, getting paid, usually, you know, cute girls at a baseball game, getting, handing out a snack or whatever. And this is where it gets super interesting about my path is that, um, because I did a very simple thing called showing up on time, uh, I was, I became the manager like, well, you show up on time. 
You know what I mean? It was like a bunch of, you know, actors and whatever who were lazy and they were, and now I see, you know, once I started on the hiring side, like, yeah, like you want a guy like me, you know, type A shows up, you know, gets it done. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, you cut out for a second. Oh, okay. Anyway. We're going to so, keep it going. So, so, um, so after doing that for a few years, um, you know, this, this girl was like, well, Hey, why don't I pay you extra to just do the event staff it for me. And then somehow I went to, okay, I think I can do this. Right. And I literally Googled, how do you get a tax ID and it's free? How do you open a bank account? And I Googled those things and I got the big checkbook and I was off and running and it was awesome for like two years, right? Maybe three or four. And I distinctly remember the first time I got the email from the client and it was like, okay, blah, blah, blah. And then I sent people to this event and I was at home in my apartment with my wife and I was like, hey, honey, I'm not working and I'm making money. They're down there working and I'm getting, you know, two bucks a head per hour, whatever it was. And it was like, hooray, I found it, right? And this very immature idea of I'm, I'm the boss, right? I don't need a boss, I'm the boss, is completely smashed somewhere in, in like month five when you answer to not just the people you're paying, but the people that are paying you, every vendor, you know, the buck stops with you. Like, again, we all know this now, I feel like, but at the time I didn't. I had that very immature idea of no one's going to tell me what to do. And it's the exact opposite. You are responsible for everything and it's massive pressure. And it was, it was still fun for a while, but the cage, I think, distinctly came with a huge client, which, you know, I have heard a friend called One Client-itis that again, I know is a common entrepreneur thing, the size of the check was so massive that I was blinded by my shitty profit margin and the fact that this guy would call me at any hour and I would answer like a dog, you know? And um, didn't even know how miserable I was till it was over. And my wife said, honey, I'm so glad you're not doing that anymore because, you know, let's call him, let's call him Bob. Bob like ruined our life, you know? Bob would say, this isn't good enough. You'd run over and fix it because if you've only got that one client and he goes away, right? Instead of, you know, I think, I think there's a very good, I think, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about it in the four hour work week about, you know, like, I forget what he calls it, but like, you just tell them like, this is how it's going to be with me. And if you want to do it, great. And if you don't, you don't. Yeah. And that's something that I certainly had to learn the hard way on my own. I landed a dream opportunity where I was hosting a twice a day video show for uh, a baseball app and it was like you're telling me i'm getting paid to talk about baseball and create videos all day every day i was like this is amazing and it was taking me like let's call it seven hours a day to write shoot edit finalize each of these highly produced videos right i loved it five days a week but here and here in lies became the problem that because it was taking me seven hours a day, like I immediately, I was up at five in the morning. I'm writing my script. I'm doing this stuff. And then finally at like three o'clock, I get to eat lunch and then go to the gym. And then it's like, <laughs> it's five o'clock now. And I'm not looking to go prospect for more clients after just putting in a, a huge day. So all of a sudden back to the one client, itis, I landed the dream client, but I had realized I can't scale this because if I had three more of this client come on board, I couldn't do it because I could barely handle one. And that's when 
I learned that I needed to build out a team and delegate. And this is a huge struggle for a creative like myself, whose goal is to create. And all of a sudden, I'm landing the campaigns now, and I'm paying other people to do the things that I started my company because that's what I wanted to do. Well, you know, I think that the, the best analogy, I think, for the one client on us is the abusive boyfriend or girlfriend that we tell all our friends, we are not taking that person back. There's no way I'm taking them back. And then here comes the call three months later, like, and the, the, the size of the zeros on the check, you know, is, is the equivalent of like, you know, sexual favors or money, whatever it is that blinds us. And then we're like, all right, I'll take you back. And then it's like, oh, I, I did it again. And again, I was such a bad business person. Like I didn't stop to realize that, you know, this is the classic, again, like one of the best thing that I always, always remember. It doesn't matter how much comes in, it's how much goes out. And if, if your margin is 2%, right? And your per hour rate ends up being garbage, then it doesn't matter. But I was so blinded, like, I've never seen a check this big. Yeah, I, I feel you very much. And it's why uh, last year I ended up hiring a branding coach to help me essentially redo and refocus and clarify everything that I'm doing, my messaging, my offering, my services, and all of that. And one of the things they had me work on, and you actually can listen to this, it's a uh, past sports marketing huddle episode I did with Gil Nevo, is who is your ideal client? What does that profile look like? And you're right. When you're starving and you see this beautiful (laughs) steak sitting there on the plate, but the devil is holding that steak. You're like, all I want is to eat that steak. But, and it's an extremely hard thing. And quite frankly, I don't think we will ever get to a point, anyone to where you are impervious to not understanding who's a good and bad client because oftentimes you don't see that until it's further on down the road. The best you can do is trying to say, these are the principles and foundations of how I do business, the type of like-minded people that I want to work with. But inevitably, as you continue to move up the food chain and with more companies and more clients that you will run into other headaches and you're going to have to learn new things that you didn't experience before. Yeah, I want to tell you, um, I, I think the story is like super valuable is I had a friend of mine and he was, he was making custom jeans and he had made this major, like major mistake. But when he realized it, it was one of those, like they didn't ask for it, but he didn't say he couldn't do it kind of thing. And I, he said, what should I do? I said, I think you should eat this one and just like make the customer happy. And you know, it's going to cost you a few more hours of work. And he said, well, how can I make sure this doesn't happen again? I said, it's called three years of contract building. Like every next event, you learn an additional thing. It's like, oh, next time I got to make sure I put in, they pay for parking, right? Or whatever the things are. And, you know, obviously within reason, but there's so many things that like we don't think of. And even if you have a mentor or you get templates of contracts, eventually you figure out what your sort of terms are, right? Like your terms specifically, like financially and also emotionally, like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Or if I get called last minute, my rate is double. If they want to do it, great. If not, no harm, no foul, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think one of the difficult things for budding entrepreneurs is the learning curve and not knowing what you don't know. Because a lot of times, you have to fail on your own dime when you're doing entrepreneurship. I know it's literally an endless amount of failure and you're pushing a rock uphill. So 
what I've always done is have a growth mindset that I don't think of things in terms of failure. It's learning opportunities. If you can, if you have something horrible happen, you're like, man, that really sucks. But <laughs> it sucks a lot less if you say, well, I've learned something from this. I'm going to make sure that moving forward, that's not going to happen again. Or I'm now going to make this good. Yeah, I definitely want to talk to you some about this whole delegation thing because I, I know it's like the key and I really struggle on what to give away, you know, when I can afford to do it, right? Like it's the whole like, do you do, you do it when you can't afford it or you go ahead and do it and you eat it a little bit because then your life gets easier and you, you know, you're able to bring in more dollars. So for me, it's a mindset and it's foundational, and I don't think there's ever a comfortable time to do it. Like everyone would love to say, oh yeah, you're just sitting there making 30 grand a month or insert whatever. And you can just hire a team and it's all good for you because your expenses are fine. I believe it really comes down to, at least from my own standpoint, I had to pull the ripcord and it wasn't comfortable. I can, I can tell you that I pulled the ripcord and I said, in order for me to get through to the next levels of where I need to be, I realized that I needed a team to be doing things so that I can continue to focus on the bigger picture stuff. And it's been good because I've enjoyed similar to your experience. I've made money when other people are working, doing the stuff that I want to do. Am I making less money? Certainly I am, but I'm also a long-term thinker in all of this that I realize in order for me to get to my ultimate goal of complete freedom across the board, financial, time, decision-making, location, essentially a complete life of freedom, in order to do that, I have to have a team that can execute these things. And I have to have the processes in place. And just like we talked about from a learning standpoint, that I now have to learn how to be a manager and delegate to these teams and create these systems and processes because now guess what? If one of the people screw up on a task that they were given, guess who's accountable for it? Me. It's no longer them that screwed up with the client. It's Rob. What did Bacon Sports not do correctly? So now all of a sudden my brain from a systems and accountability and a processes standpoint has become much more on point because I need to make sure that I'm essentially creating a wheel Sure, I've got people in there right now working on this stuff, but people are going to come and go at all times, often when you least expect it. But I thought, so, you were, I thought you were supposed to delegate the stuff you don't want to do. I don't – well, yes, that is one thing, but I also do believe you need to delegate the things that are lower – let's call them dollar value tasks. So there's two, two ways of thinking about this. For example, I delegate – I have an accountant – to do that stuff for me because for my first few years of entrepreneurship, I was like, Oh, I'll just do this on my own. I don't know crap about accounting. <laughs> How much endless hours I spent. And Oh, by the way, if you screw up accounting, the government's going to come for you. I quickly realized <laughs> I'm going to delegate accounting and I'm going to, I'm going to pay a thousand dollars or whatever for an accountant to do my stuff. So that's the one instance, but I really believe, especially starting out because Oftentimes we hear the examples of like, oh yeah, just go and delegate all of your teams. But it's when people are like millions of dollars into it. And it's a very hard thing to relate to when someone's just getting off the ground. 
So I ended up delegating, really think of it this way, time versus money. Is the amount of time you're going to spend on something versus what you could potentially be getting elsewhere. So hypothetically speaking, is this a $15 an hour task? Is this a $25 an hour task? What is your actual rate? So if you're saying, listen, enlist this is a $200 an up hour task, I should not be doing that even if that's what you want to be doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's tough. The accounting one I, I get, you know, I think for me, people talk about um, like, so let's talk about podcast editing, right? Which I know a lot of people sub out and I think ideally I would, but I kind of like it, right? Like I kind of like the process, you know, I press a few buttons, I do this and this pretty thing comes out the other side, even though I could pay somebody to probably do that for me. I do believe, so everything is not absolute, I believe, in entrepreneurship. And I think the podcast editing one's a great example because when I, I've done over 500 podcast episodes and for the, almost all of them, I've edited all of them. But is that a lower dollar value task? Yes, it is. However, it's, oftentimes there can be difficulties on, is a podcast tangibly giving me like, do I know that I make $100 from every podcast? The answer is no. My strategy in podcasting is one, relationship building, being able to have someone like you on, chop it up, and now you and I, we can start doing business together. And then my ability to get out to your network and who may listen to this and say, wow, Rob, I listened to the podcast you did with Matt. I loved it. would love to talk about ways that you and I can grow a relationship. So I'm very long-term thinking oriented. The problem is if I was going to outsource all of that sometimes at the volume that I was doing from a podcast standpoint, for example, five days a week, let's assume it takes 25 to $50 to get that edited each time. Now, all of a sudden I've got a $1,000 or $500 expense item for podcasting. Do I want to get to the point where I completely offload that? 100% but everything is a series of pulling levers because I'm going to delegate the client work and make a little bit less money to free up a lot more of my time because that one's a significantly more, I can see where the dollars are coming in. But when it comes to the podcast editing, uh, I believe it's something that I can easily do quickly and efficiently. And even though I'd like to delegate it, I'm not to the point yet where I'm going to completely do that with everything I'm doing, if that makes sense. Totally. So I'll throw this out at you regarding podcast, podcasting in general. How did you first learn? Because once again, entrepreneurship, building the world in your image, people assume, oh, Rob and Matt, you guys must have gone to school for this. Huge technical <laughs> backgrounds. You guys were just born to podcast. <laughs> and on my end, I had zero experience in doing anything that I'm doing now other than having a love for writing, a passion for sports, and endless hustle to make all of this happen. And I realized when someone said to me, Rob, if you ever hope to get paid to do what you love, you better be doing that already. And I was like, well, crap. I want to work in sports and be creative. So I better learn how to do Photoshop, audio and video editing, podcasting, social media marketing, throwing events, all of this different stuff which is how I taught myself podcasting. And then later on, as 
I've mentioned before on the podcast, I recently launched a podcast video course called Launching Podcasts to help people easily launch a podcast. And if that's something you guys are interested in, use uh, promo code HUDDLE. Go to launchingpodcast.com and it'll get you $50 off. So let me hear about you. Where did you learn to podcast? Uh, so the answer is myself. Um, the, uh, uh, this was, so one of the things that happened in my first couple of years is a publisher called me and said, we, we write a lot of fitness books and we want to write a book about obstacle racing and a training thing. And, uh, when that thing, when that process was done, you know, six months later, it was like, uh, how did I figure out how to write a book? I wrote a book. And that's kind of what you're saying, right? So I think this is the, the positive side of, of fake it till you make it. There's definitely been some more, there's been this crazy negative, you know, uh, you know, Theranos and fire festival negativity with fake it till you make it. But you know, most of us are not, um, what's the word con men. And, um, I certainly, I did the easiest thing you could do in 2012, which I use blog talk radio, which sounds like you're coming out of a fucking tin can. Um, but I did it and I'm so glad I did. And so, dude, I was like, I don't know, three or four years into it before I even knew that I could separate the tracks. Like if you coughed, I didn't know how to just cut off your cough. It would cut off what I was saying too. Like it was like many years into it, right? Learn more, learn more, get better, get better find out tips, whatever, talk to friends. But then I was not taking my own advice around video, right? A couple, three years ago, I knew I needed to add more video, saw people doing great stuff on YouTube. I don't know how to do it. It's going to take me forever to learn. I don't know how to do it. And it's like, dude, what do you say to anyone about podcasting that says that? Don't wait till you get the perfect equipment. Just fucking start. The first one's going to suck. The second one will be a little better. The first one will take you five hours to edit. The second one will take you four, like all that stuff, right? And I wouldn't do it. And I finally, you know, whatever, however many years later, started messing with iMovie. And much like podcasting, what do you know? I actually kind of like it. Like making stuff is cool, which by the way, I'm on a search for a word other than content. So if you can help me find that, because that's all people talk about as being a content creator. And I, I like to make stuff and I don't know what else to call it, but it's fun to me to sit down, not just shoot the video, not just talk to you, but then sit down and, uh, and put it together and add fun graphics. And again, I know nothing, like I know this much, um, but it's, it's starting to be super fun. You, well, yeah, that's why I love doing this. It's a, it's a ton of fun. One quote that I hammer home to everyone that I talk to who wants to be a creator, done is better than perfect. Right. Just, just get it out. It's like, oh no, but this and this, no. People so often worry about the polish instead of the process of it. So I'm 100% with you on that. Maybe another word instead of content creation is storytelling or storyteller. Because a lot of times with the stuff that we are creating, we're just telling stories. And quite frankly, my mindset with it all the time is, and which really helps me, is I love being not perfect. Because for me it's really not about the end result. It's more about the inner artist in me who says, you know what? I really want to do a podcast with Matt and we're just going to hit record and we're going to do it and we're going to see what happens. And I'm cool with whatever the result is. And I don't care if one person listens to it because I'm happy that I got to have a conversation with Matt 
and let everybody else in on what we've got talking about. Yeah, and, and that's another interesting thing where I've had to take my own medicine is I started this obstacle thing and everybody, you know, people start coming to me because I've been doing it, you know, in, in our world, it's a fairly long time, right? Like the, the boom didn't hit till a couple years ago. And so, um, but then I started another one, a local one where I wanted to interview people around here. It's called the Atlanta podcast. And I started going back to that place of it's not perfect. It's uh, why are my numbers higher? How do I get more numbers? Which, you know, with the other one, it's kind of like it's got its own groove. And of course, I want to continue to grow it. But, you know, I don't sweat it because I know there's 300 behind and 300 more coming. But this new one, I, I felt myself getting precious about it. And it put me in the, in the mindset of the newcomer again of like, oh, fuck, like this really is like, and people say, how do I grow it? And it's like, again, it's like it's Gary Vee. Like, we all start with zero and you grow one listener at a time. That's it. Yeah, I can tell you from the sports marketing huddle, do you know how you grow it? Yeah, create 300 episodes. <laughs> and don't stop. It's like, how in the world do you create 300 episodes? One episode at a time. Were you really doing it five days a week? So here's a little, here's a little trick for you. We published episodes five days a week. But guess what we did? At the time, we, my co-host and I, Brian Cristiano, we were doing, we were batching it. So imagine over a one hour span, we were recording between seven and 12 minute episodes, knock out four of those in one, four hour, in one, one hour span. So we've just now created four episodes in one hour because I've always been a bigger fan of shorter content. Boom, you do that like four times over the course of the month, there's 16 episodes right there. Boom, it only took us four hours. The rest of it's just the process side of things. So it's really not that hard to create a five-day-a-week podcast if you're not creating hour-long podcasts. It takes me literally less than four minutes to edit a podcast. It goes, insert the intro, chop off the dead air in the beginning, chop off the dead air at the end, put in the outro, boom, export, done. Yeah, mine's that way too if I don't get distracted by a text in the middle. I usually have to put it on airplane because I'll, like, I'll go in with that attitude. I'll be done in 15 minutes, and it's like an hour and a half later. And I'm, uh, I'm on some Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, I went down. <laughs> I feel you. So, Matt, I really loved this conversation. I really enjoyed the authenticity of your journey. And I hope that for the listeners out there, that they get that they're, one, there's no perfect journey. Two, you've got to always be learning. Three, you've got to always be creating. Four, the best time to start is now. If you don't know something, just start learning it. What about you? Do you have a takeaway from this? Um, yeah, you're reminding me a lot of, of a lot of this stuff. Is um, this batching idea is is something I need, I keep relearning because, um, like, I just recorded. I just sat over at my little recording thing and recorded an intro to one show, and it's like I could have recorded the intro to three shows, right? Yeah, it's, it's a way to be more efficient with your time because you're in flow more. So during that one hour, boom, you're crushing that out or in your instance, and really it comes down to the process. That's why I am so big into hammering the process, hammering the process, which is why I created my podcast course because guess what I didn't have like you for so long? A system. I didn't have a system right? because I didn't know what information to trust because guess what I'd never done before? I'd never created a podcast. I spent like two hours on freaking microphones. 
I don't know crap about microphones. And in the end, guess how much a microphone matters? I'll just tell you which one to use. How about that? Boom, done. Thank you two hours. What do you got there? Well, this is just a Shure SM58, which is something that I actually use to do both video and podcasting. It's very multi-purpose for me. And in the microphone world, there is low quality, which just gets you above uh, standard headphones. Then you've got medium, and then you've got high quality. And the real difference between medium and high quality is pretty negligible. And so what's the dollar value of that? $99. Nice. Right? So my entire setup, and this is to produce a high quality podcast with an interface is less than $300. What about the baseball cards behind you? Oh, my baseball card wallpaper. So those are all my common cards from when I was a kid. And going back to your video, one thing that I've always noticed that has driven me nuts, you watch SportsCenter or any TV show, I'm always looking at the background to see what the people have. And inevitably, it's a crappy, bland hotel room or a bookshelf that looks kind of drab. And instead, I was like, well, I've got all my common cards. Why don't I just create my own wallpaper and then use that as my backdrop for when I do podcasts or shoot videos? I think that's great. I just started working out of this space. You'll forgive me that this is their stuff and it's not hung yet, but we're working on something. Also, I love that you use the term common, where in 2019, aren't they all kind of common? Isn't that what we learned? That there really is no, like, unless you're sitting on an Onus Wagner, there's, there's not a lot of value there. Well, yes, that was supposed to put me through college and boy, did that not happen. <laughs> so Matt, where can everybody connect with you? Uh, so Obstacle Racing Media is uh, where you can, if you go to obstacleracingmedia.com, that'll take you to the, all the stuff if you're into that world. And if you're not, and you just want to follow me, because uh, you think I'm an interesting dude, uh, you can do that. Uh, I'm at Matt B. Davis on all channels. That's at Matt B. Davis. And it's the one thing I'll ask you when you put the show out is that you list me as Matt B. Davis and not just Matt Davis because there's, if you Google Matt Davis, there's like 10 million of them. But if you Google Matt B. Davis, it's only me. So, Awesome. I love it, Matt B. Davis. This is fantastic. And as always, I would love to hear from you about this episode if you are start, if you want to become an entrepreneur, what is, what is stopping you from doing so or taking action? What are you learning now? Do you have tips for delegation? If there's anything that we talked about in this episode that is from your journey or wisdom that you can share that we can then share with our audience, let me know. You can hit me up on Instagram at Rob underscore Cressy, on Twitter at Rob Cressy, or on LinkedIn. That's like an alarm clock. Woo-woo!